All right, I'm going to get you started here. Thanks for being here. We're starting a new series today. I'm, I'm ready to introduce to you and excited about uh, what God has in store for this for you. And um, if you're listening online, I'm glad that you've tuned in. And if you're sitting here in an orange pew, I've um, been praying for you all week and uh, ready for God to do something big today. Um, we are starting a new series, but before I jump into any of that, um, I want to uh, just give you a chance to take a deep breath, kind of get, get in a place where you can uh, feel a little bit r- more ready to hear what God has to say. Yesterday, I was, uh, it was one of those days in the yard where I, our whole family felt good for the first time in about what seems like a year. Um, I was feeling better, and our whole family's been sick, and, but yesterday we felt good. And it was a beautiful day and got just a ton of yard work done, and it was just it was one of those days where, for me, getting a big chunk of work done is a break. It really, it, work done around the house just feels like I've had a break. And I got towards the end of the day, and I just felt like I was missing something. Like, it was a good day, but I felt like I'd forgotten something. Have you ever had one of those things where you're like, man, I, I checked my calendar a few times to make sure I didn't miss something. And I got towards the end of the day, um, and the sun started going down, and I was sitting out on the front porch. And um, I, I'm a ki- kind of a weird um, country guy because I live out on 40 acres of woods in a log cabin, but there's a 40-inch television on my front porch. Um, so I get a little beth- best of both worlds, and that's just kind of the way I like it. I don't apologize for either side of that. Um, but uh, I was sitting there watching the television, just still feeling like, man, it's been a good day, but I'm missing something. And all of a sudden, Reese crawls right up on my lap, my son. And he's a snuggly dude, and he crawled right up on my lap, and he said, Dad, did you know what you forgot today? I thought, oh, no, I forgot some really important thing. And he said, you forgot that you were going to go mushroom hunting with me today. And this was like too late to go mushroom hunting, you know. And honestly, I really believe that's what was in my head all day. I had made this promise to my son, and I'd gotten all this work done, and we had done all these things, and he wasn't going to bug me about it. He was hoping I would remember. And I got to the end of the day, and we didn't go mushroom hunting. Um, and I promised I'd do it with him today, and I'm going to keep that promise. But I, I don't know if you if you're kind of like me, you're kind of you're going through life, and you kind of do these things, and you think you're doing the right thing, and you think you've got the right step in front of the next right step, and but there's just this feeling that you're missing something, you know. And if you're not careful, what happens is the most important thing to you, out of all the things I could have done yesterday that were fun and important to me, the most important thing was my son. And I missed the one thing that was most important to me because I had all these other things. And they were good things. They just weren't the best things. You know what I mean? And if you're not careful, you will miss today. You will miss today and you will miss this week what God has to say to you because you will be putting good things or maybe sometimes not great things, but most, for most part, good things in your life, but maybe missing the most important things. And the, the way the Bible talks about that is that you can take a deep breath in the middle of your week. We call it a deep breath. Um, and the reason I call it that, it's very, a, a very good reason that I call it a deep breath. It's because there was this, this part of the book of, of Psalms. If you've ever read any of the Psalms um, from the Bible, um, there's, there's a, a, a real sense that the author takes a deep breath every now and then. The word is salah. Um, and it's a, it's a word that just means, like, you know? And I, I believe what God does with that deep breath in you is that he, he gives you this perspective that, that's going to be okay, for one thing, but also that, that there are more important things in your life maybe than what you're putting at the top. So I want to give you a chance, and we do that every week, to salah, to just take a deep breath. 
um, and to get a moment of perspective. Whatever you brought in here. Now, what happens is sometimes our week gets so wrapped up that a minute and a half of quiet doesn't give us enough salah to get a break. So whatever you need to do today, that's what I've been praying for you, that you would get a moment today where, where the priorities get moved into place and you can hear from God. So I'm going to give you about a minute um, of quiet, and then we're going to jump right into this this morning and dive deep um, into James. God, in the quiet of this room this morning, we we pray you would speak into our lives. Whatever we brought in here, if we brought in anger, frustration, even just joy, God, that you would allow us to put the right things in the right places in our lives. That we'd be given perspective that moves us to what you want from us. God, you know what I've been praying about and the way I've been preparing this message in this series to dive deeper. God, you know that, um, and I think you've put it on the hearts of the leaders in this place to see the excitement that comes from numbers growing, um, but also the pain that comes from still dealing with some of the things that, that we don't want it trapped by anymore, individually and even as a church. God, we want to get deeper. We want to grow closer we want to get better. Would you lead us to that? Would you keep me from saying anything that that wouldn't do it wouldn't do any good for us today? Would you speak truth and hope and joy into our lives and we'll listen in your son's name. Amen. Well, this series I've called it uh, into the deep. Um, and the reason for that is I've been praying about this for a while. If you're a leader in this place of any kind, an elder or uh, one of our um, life group leaders, or if you work in kids ministry or up in the nursery or any of those things, um, you've probably heard me talk about what, uh, what I think God wants from us over the next couple years in this church. And that is we're growing bigger all the time. Last week we had uh, 190 some people in the building and 50 some kids. Um, and for a town as small as Paragon, obviously God is drawing people to this place. We have a lot of listens online, a lot of people that aren't even on our, on our premises on Sunday mornings that are listening and being impacted by, by our services. And God is doing big things in this place and drawing people to here. And what, you know, as a preacher, you have this tendency to kind of feel like things are becoming successful if people are coming. And more and more people come and you almost feel like it's a success. But the older I get and I become as a preacher, the more I start to, to feel a little bit differently. That, that just putting, um, as, as my uh, nature and work of the ministry professor in Bible college would say, just putting butts in pews um, isn't what God intends for us. It's not. And especially as a leader, as a preacher, um, my job is not to just see the parking lot full, although I've got to tell you, um, sure fun. 
Um, it's sure fun to stand up on stage and look out at a whole group full of people and see how many of them are asleep by the end. Very few of you now, and I take that as, a, as you growing and not me being a better preacher. But, um, but seeing the parking lot full is wonderful and it's exciting. But the truth is um, what God has called us to as a church is so much bigger than that. Um, it's, a, it's a life that's deeper. It's a life that is closer to God on a daily basis. And if you're just kicking the tires on the whole church thing, um, and especially if you've, if, you're, if you've heard something you like about Christianity, there's probably a whole list of things you don't like too if you've never um, been involved in, in Christianity and you're kind of ki- kicking the tires on those things. And one of the ways that, that church or one of the ways that preachers tend to get people to come to church is to tell them that if they become a Christian, their life gets better. If they become a Jesus follower, all of a sudden their life smooths out and the money starts rolling in and the hills start smoothing out and things get better. And the truth is, if you hear that, you just need to know it's not from God. It's not from God. And if you hear that from me, that's the side of me that wants to see the parking lot full, um, but not the side of me that wants to tell you exactly what God wants from your life. The truth is, I do believe that being a Christian makes you better at life. I believe that. I believe that being a Christian makes you, your life a little bit better in the way that you've got hope and joy and peace that the world is looking for. And I believe that happens. But the truth is, what the, the Christianity, the following Jesus that Jesus preached when he was here, it actually included more hardship at times. It actually included at times harder looking life for people at times. Now, the most amazing thing about that is those people seem to have the happiness that the people who didn't have that kind of a life always looked for. And that's the peace and hope and joy that we talk about here. But what I want to talk about during this series is rubber meets the road faith. It's a different kind of faith. And this is, as you, as you uh, look through the, the rest of the year here at New Life, this is the push we're making on Wednesday nights with our life groups. This is the push you'll be seeing on Sunday mornings is to share not just the peace and the hope and the joy and the things that we've talked about a lot here, but also to share the, the day-to-day walk with God. You've heard people talk about the walk with God. I hope at the end of this series that you know, you feel a little bit more um, strongly that you understand what that means. The idea of walking into the deep and, 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 and dig, digging in a little bit deeper to Jesus, it always plays itself out to me in the people that I see at the end of their lives. And if, you've, if you're dealing with people in your life right now who are sick or maybe on their deathbed, maybe just dealing with illness that seems to be sort of like the end, you know exactly what I mean. You can look at their life and go one of two things. Either I want that. I want, at the end of my life, I want to act like that. I want to sound like that. I want to feel like that. I want to be like that. Or you can do the opposite and go, at the end of my life, whatever happens, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be desperate. I don't want to be calling people names. I don't want to be fighting over money. Whatever it is, you know those people in your life. I've got to let you know, this week I went and saw Bruce Steerwald. I mentioned that in our announcement time this morning. Um, when I got there, um, I went to a, you know, no matter how good a nursing home is or how good these long-term care facilities are, and this is a really good one. It's really pretty. Really, you just know what it is, right? Like, you walk in, and you, no matter how good they are, how nice they are, how good it smells, and it didn't smell like the old nursing homes. It was a nice place, but you just, there's just a feeling there that you don't like, and I walked in and I had that feeling and I walked down this long hallway and I walked down hallways of people co- coughing and not healthy and, and I walked all the way down to the corner and they said, are you looking for Bruce Steerwalt? Yeah, he's down there at the very end. And as soon as some, I said, I'm looking for Bruce Steerwalt, they said, are you his pastor? And I said, yeah, he's been talking about you. And just this huge smile. And it's like the closer I got to Bruce's room, the more light came into the building. And I don't mean that physically, but... You know what I mean. 
The closer I got to his room, the more it felt like this is the kind of life I want. And now Bruce is not at the end of his life. Bruce is being, he's recovering um, from a, a current, or an injury he just had. Um, and the thing is, I walked into Bruce's room and he was laying, he probably wouldn't be comfortable with me telling you this until he found out that it might cause you to go closer to Jesus and then he'd be okay. But, but his bed was laid back like this and he was sitting up with his head down asleep <laughs> and looked exhausted, hasn't slept, he's uncomfortable, and when he pulled his head up, he get, had that look like bedhead from five days. And he was kind of out of it a little bit. He's on medication. He's got a, his arm in a sling because his shoulder is, is not right. And I looked around, and there was very little around him to, like, have fun. If I was sitting in bed, I'd want lots of movies, and I'd, I'd want lots of stuff around the very little, the little tiny TV up there, and he's sharing the room with somebody with nothing but a curtain. And it's just this feeling of, like, and my thought was this. Poor Bruce, right? And he, he pulled his head up and he had this big smile and he saw me. And I woke him up and the very first thing he said was, I've been having a hard time sleeping. And I thought, great, the preacher showed up and ruined the whole thing. You were doing pretty good when I got here. And I started saying, now, Bruce, how are you feeling? And you know, he wouldn't even answer me. He wanted to know about Sidney Reed, a little girl in our community in our church who has cancer. And when I told, her a little, told him a little bit about that, I'd say, so Bruce, what, about, what did the doctor say about this? He didn't care. He wanted to know about my daughter in volleyball because he's a, he's a coach and he wanted to know how she's doing in volleyball. I said, well, Bruce, how long do you think you're going to be in here? He didn't even answer me. Didn't even think, he didn't even think about what was going on in his life. And he kept asking me questions about you. He's laying in a hospital bed in a really hard place and all he could think about was you and my kids. So I, I um, kind of pulled some things out of my bag, and I had a stack of cards. You know, I asked you guys to fill out cards, and, man, you responded. It was a big stack of cards. And I handed, and I, I didn't even get it out of my bag. I just pulled it over, and I looked over, and he had tears in his eyes. And I finally said, I gave it to him, and he looked down at all these cards, and I said, this is from people who love you. And he looked back up at me, and I said, Bruce, I need to tell them how you're doing <laughs> I need you to tell me how you feel and what's going on. I need to report. And he looked up at me. And friends, this is who I want to be at the end of my life or when things go hard in my life. This is, Bruce is not the end of his life, but he's in, a whole, he's in a place where lots of people are. And you can start to feel that way. And he looked right up at me and he said, tell him this, my cup overflows. Now, his cup doesn't look like my cup. Because if I was laying in a hospital bed with all this stuff and not feeling good and I'm looking around and people are dying around me and there's coughing and things going on, I would not say my cup overflows. You know what I would say? Well, these doctors are stupid and they didn't give me the right thing and the nurse didn't bring me the ice at the right time and that's what I would do. And the reason? The reason because Bruce and I have different kinds of cups. Bruce is so close to Jesus. If you spent much time with him, you know this guy. And you know what I mean when I, mean when I talk about the deep. I mean so deep, so close to Jesus that it's not a Sunday morning in an orange pew thing, that it's not just uh, every now and then on the, way to, on the way to work, I pray and I listen to the Christian radio, and then I go to work and I say whatever I want, I talk about people and I do whatever I want. It's not that kind of thing. It's like so close to Jesus that I can't wait, I can't help myself but to dig into another prayer time, another relationship with him. If that sounds weird to you, I don't blame you. 
Because it is so against our culture. It's so against the flow. But let me tell you, when it boils down to those times in your life, when it comes down to the end of your life or it comes down to a point where things are really hard, you're going to wish you had that more than anything. You're going to wish your cup looked like that so that it could overflow. And my job as your preacher is not to put your car in this parking lot. It's to lead you to that. And by the way, to try to figure out how to get there myself because I ain't there. So this sermon series is as much for me as it is for you. They all are. But this, the reason I'm preaching this sermon series is because I wanted to do it. <laughs> I need this in my life. I want that. And I know you do too. So I'm starting a series um, from the book of a Bible called James. And I need to let you in on just a little bit. This might bore you a little bit. Um, except for Brittany because she's taking a New Testament study class right now. So you might, this might be interesting to you. Um, but everybody else will be bored by this, but I need to give you some context. There are, there are really two major kinds of preaching in the world. Um, there's lots of little in-betweens, but basically there's two kinds. One is called topical, and topical preaching is when you take a topic, like for instance, parenting. And the preacher takes a, a whole four weeks and preaches about parenting. And the preacher will often take a part of that topic and take scripture and point back at that. That's the way I've preached here most of the time. And that's, that's kind of what I'm most comfortable with. We're struggling with this, and I find out what God has to say about it and deal with it. The second kind of preaching is called exegetical preaching. See, I told you to be bored by it, but I need to tell you what it is. Exegetical preaching is this, this kind of preaching where you take a verse or a part of the Bible and you just pick it apart. I mean, we used to give my dog, when I think about exegetical uh, preaching, I think about my dog Bogey, who passed away um, last year. He didn't pass away. He got hit by a car. <laughs> That's two different things. Um, um, but this dog, uh, this dog, if you gave him a squeaky toy, he would take that and he would pick at it until he got to the squeaky toy. I mean, in an hour, he would have the squeaker out and have it destroyed and just destroy the whole thing. That's what exegetical preaching is. It's looking for the squeaker. It's looking for the thing in there that is most important to you in your life right now, and it's digging through all the stuff to pull out these words. And and that kind of preaching, although it can be dry at times to, to people who are just kicking the tires, that kind of preaching, what it does is it surfaces the truth out of the Bible and in a way that impacts your life right here, right now. And as I get older, it's becoming more and more attractive to me. (laughs) And this sermon series is the first sermon series in probably five years in this church that I've preached as an exegetical sermon. And here's why. Because I think you desperately need every word that comes out of this book. And I do too. It's written by a man named James. Um, James was the brother of Jesus. Now, there were a lot of Jameses, and in this point in history, if you've read the Bible very much, you know that there weren't last names, or people didn't talk to you about, uh, talk, they didn't say, hey, that's John Mitchell. They'd say, hey, that was, that's John the fisherman's son. In my case, that's what they would say, because every story my dad tells us about fishing, and that's what he's known for. Or he would say, that's John the teacher's son, the science teacher's son, because that's who my dad was. And so they would always mention you, John the something, or James the something. James, in this case, is James the brother of Jesus. Now, he had a few different names. They called him James the Just at times. Um, they, they, they called him a, a few different names that uh, I probably can't even repeat in English um, or shouldn't. Um, but they, James was well known for a, a lot of reasons. And the, one of the biggest reasons is because this was the brother of Jesus. And I've said a lot of times that I am most fascinated by this book of the Bible because I think he probably knew Jesus, the human, better than anybody on earth. You, like you know your brother. <laughs> You know, you, you brush your teeth next to him as you grow up, and you, 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 change, um, you, know, you, you, you change diapers next to him when you were a kid, and you, you know, those kinds of things. You, he knew Jesus better than anyone knew Jesus, and I love that perspective from him. He led a church in Jerusalem. 
Now, as a church leader at the time, they did some preaching, but they also just did life leading. So he would walk into people's lives, and it was much different. Can you imagine this? If, if I was a preacher uh, if I was a preacher in that day and age, or if, if James was the preacher of our church or the leader of our church, what he would do is if he saw something going on in your life, he would step right down off of this stage. He would think it was funny we had a stage, by the way, because they met in circles, not in rows like this. He would step right down, and he would say, hey, we need to deal with that right here, right now. And you'd go, what, who, me? And there would be a lot less cars in our parking lot if that were to happen. But that's the way James dealt with things, and that's the way he hit things head on. Uh, in the early history of the church, um, check this out about James. So James, James wasn't real sure about Jesus. He, he really wasn't sure that Jesus was the Son of God. He, uh, you know, just like you would be of your brother. You'd be the last person to believe that this guy was God, right? And, and he was until the resurrection. And when Jesus died and resurrected, James was the biggest leader of the band. He was all in with Jesus. In fact, after that, he started introducing himself, and you'll see how he does. He started introducing himself not as James, the brother of Jesus, but James, a servant of Jesus, <laughs> Like, this is God, and I didn't think he was, but when he rose from the dead, it changed everything. And early history of the church says that James um, was, was such a man of prayer. He was so deep in prayer that uh, his knees had large, thick calluses, and they made him look like a camel. <laughs> People would laugh at him because his, he prayed on his knees so much that his, his knees swelled up and he looked like a camel to people. Well, that'd be a good thing to be known for. I don't think my wife would like that look on me, but um, it'd be a good thing to be known for, wouldn't it? And when I, when I talk to Bruce this week, and when I go to the hospital or I go um, visit anybody who's sick, I always say, hey, before I, before I go, I want to pray with you, right? And I always ask them what I can pray for them for, and I've got this thing. You know, I do it as a preacher, and I'm the preacher, and I'm the spiritual guy, right? And so my job is to close the whole experience out in prayer, so the preacher blessed it kind of a thing. So I said, Hey, uh, Bruce, I'd like to pray for you. And he said, no, I'd, I'd like to pray for you. And so before we left his room where he laid in a bed with his arm in a sling, Bruce prayed for me and my family and my stuff. And I don't know if you've, if you've ever been around Bruce or anybody like Bruce before, but when you get around somebody who knows Jesus like Bruce knows Jesus, he talks like a normal day, just very quiet. He's very humble until it comes time for prayer. And then out of him comes this confidence and this energy, and where he's, hey, John, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming when it comes time. Father, I'd like to thank you today. for the. And there's like this moment where you go, this dude, this is not his first time praying. <laughs> like this guy's got camel knees. You know what I mean? So I, I, that's what I, I'd like to be known for. James was known for that. Next slide. James was martyred in Jerusalem by being pushed from a high point off a temple. He, he died as a Christian martyr. The fall didn't kill him. And he was beaten to death on the ground as he prayed for his, his attackers. I, can't, I don't know if you can imagine this, but in this day and age, the best way to kill somebody was to push them off of something high. You get pushed off and he didn't die, and so after that, he'd be stoned to death. And while he was stoned to death, he prayed for them. I don't know what that would have felt like as a, the person throwing the rocks to have somebody going, I, I pray for that guy, that guy right there with the big rock. <laughs> Boom. This was James, the brother of Jesus and the writer of the things that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. James was uniquely qualified to talk about a hard life. And he was uniquely qualified to talk about the deep about being so close to Jesus that it impacts everything, even to the point where when you're dying, you're praying for the people 
who are killing you. Does that sound familiar, by the way? It runs in the family. While Jesus was on the cross, do you remember what he said? Please forgive them. He's praying for the people that are killing him. He runs in the family. James did the same thing. So I wanted you to get to know a little bit the guy who's writing this. Because what he says is uh, life-changing. Especially if you know that he lived it. Check this out. James chapter 1, verse 1. Now, this is the way I want to go through this in this whole series. We're going to go through it scripture by scripture, verse by verse. Um, hopefully, um, I have put, put enough in here to, uh, to really get you um, thinking. What I would love for you to do if you're visiting with us or if, you're, if you've been here a lot and you've heard my sermons is just keep your mind open to this. If you've heard this before, I'd like for you to think about something different and try to, try to really stay tuned to this today. James says this. He starts the whole scripture with this. James, a servant of God. And of the Lord Jesus Christ. He could have said, James, oh yeah, James, the brother of Jesus. You should listen to me because I'm I'm, he was my bro, you know, but he doesn't. He doesn't start that way. He says, I'm just a servant of Jesus Christ. And then he says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So he's talking to a group of people who were Christians, who were close to God, who were some of them Jesus followers, but all of them felt like they were close to God. And their life has gotten so hard in that day and age that they actually got scattered. They could not be in groups and clumps of people. Now, if you're going through um, right now, if you're following politics and you're reading a lot about what's going on, there is a sense in our culture, and this happens in every culture, that this is the worst time in history, you know? Um, that, that this time is the worst time in history and that somehow this politician fleet that we have coming through is the worst ever and somehow everything's going to be awful and everything's going to be bad. I was reading a historian recently who just said this. He said there's some comfort found when you study history and find that every single generation believes that theirs is the worst. (laughs) We're there now, by the way. Please don't fall into the trap of saying that everything's going to hell in a handbasket because you don't like the politicians that might be running the White House. Because God's in charge, and God has always been in charge. And at this point in history that James is talking about right now, you could not sit in a room like this and worship without the thought that somebody might ride a horse through those doors right there and start giving you the chance to live or die based on what you believe. Yeah. No matter how bad the election seems to you, you're not going to be there, right? This was a tough time to live in history and a tough time to be a Christian. The thing that's amazing about that is he is writing to people who, in the midst of that, have chosen Jesus. Now, if you're here today, the chances are you might have come here because you want Jesus, and you might have come here because, well, there was nothing else to do. I came to church for the first six, eight, ten years of my life as an adult because there were pretty girls there, you know? And it was a good, I mean, if you really wanted to know why I was there, it was because of that. If I had a chance of dying because I was there, ain't no way. They weren't, they weren't that pretty, you know? These people, these people are coming to church. These people are getting together. They're reading this. They're listening to James's letter. Not because they're just trying to decide, but because they have decided, this is the way I want to live my life, and it's worth dying for. You can see how that would change a perspective. He says this, to this group of people who live in constant fear, who live in squalor, many of them, who live completely oppressed by the government. You think your taxes are bad. They could be charged 60% for their their taxes and then get a tip from the guy who's collecting it too on penalty of death. Their life was in every way, it seems, difficult. And James looks at them and he says something that makes contemporary Christians mad on the surface. 
You know, those of us who think we have a hard day because, um, you know, we had to sit too long in traffic. (laughs) Those of us who call it persecution when somebody makes fun of us because we have a Jesus sticker on the back of our car. James says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Now, you think that's offensive to consider it pure joy for trials that, that involve the kinds of things that we're dealing with. But think about the kinds of things that the people who would have read this at first were dealing with. He said, consider it pure joy. And listen to me. He kind of pauses here. He says, listen to me, because you know that the testing, and I'm going to do this periodically during the sermon, this sermon and the next few coming ones, that red letter right there is a, is a word that I'm going to hit hard. It's a word that I'm going to tell you what it means in English, but then I'm going to tell you what the original writer would have meant by it. So he says, uh, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That word testing is really thick. Now, I was talking to Bruce while we were there, um, while I was up visiting him, and um, you know, in 15 minutes with him, I got a whole sermon, basically, uh, from this guy. Just amazing, close to Jesus, man. And he was telling me about perseverance. He was telling me that, you know, he's been a, a softball coach um, for a good part of his life and a coaching something for a good part of his life. And he had this girl that he worked with that he just, on a girl's basketball team, who had been hurt and tore her ACL and then tore her MCL and then tore other ligaments and all kinds of stuff and just kept coming and kept working and he kept pushing her and he said I pushed her really really hard and I told her when she was in the weight room if I ask you to do 10 of those I want you to do 20 because I want to see how bad I want you to want it twice as bad as I push you and she did and she came um, to to become a good athlete and she got through all these injuries and he said he she called him when she found out he was in the hospital and she said coach you told me that I you, you wanted me to push twice as hard as you pushed me, and so now I'm going to tell you. When the therapist tells you to work, your, to work a little bit hard, I want you to work twice as hard. So he, he said he was really moved by that, and this girl really moved him. So the, that very day, he was supposed to have an appointment with the therapist. He went to the therapy meeting, and the, he got on the bike, and she said, I want you to ride 10 minutes. And he said, I'll ride 20. <laughs> And he said, then he got to 20, and he remembered what she had, this girl had said, so he decided to go 30. When he got to 30, he remembered that her basketball number was 33. So he rode 33. And he's been doing that ever since she called. Because he knows that perseverance, that testing, that pushing, that working, that's what develops perseverance. This is what James says. He says, consider it pure joy. You know, those of you who have ever been to the gym, those of you who have ever run, you know that there's pain, that there's, there's hurt, there's stretching associated with it, but then there's this moment of joy when you realize what it's growing in you. Now, this word testing, I, I highlighted it in red because I want you to see what it means. Check this out. Wake up if you've been asleep because this is really cool. Testing is a word in the Greek language that, that was used in a different way. Now, this is the one of the ways to study the Bible is that you can look at the exact word in Greek. Greek is a de- uh, the Koine Greek is a dead language, so nobody speaks it anymore, but you can study it and you can read what's called word pictures. And it's a book that takes each one of these Greek words and tells you how it was used in places outside of the Bible. So you can get a real sense of how the writer wanted to use it. This is so cool. What James would have had in mind when he used the word testing was a word that was used um, in silver making. And this is really cool. I put a picture up here of an, of an ancient silver maker. Um, and the, the idea of silver, obviously nobody actually makes silver. Um, that next slide, Tanya, will show you that, 
that uh, this picture, you can't see it real well, but the idea of a silver maker is this. You don't actually make the silver, you know, but you take silver, and you might take it from a lot of different places, earrings and stuff stolen from people and different things that are already made and some stuff from out of the ground, and in it are all these impurities, things that were put in the metal because they couldn't afford pure or things that were dirt and things in the earth, and all of that goes into a cauldron, and it gets heated up, and I watched a lot of YouTube videos on this. You can check it out on YouTube. It's amazing. All that gets heated up, and it gets so hot that what happens? is that the, the silver gets to be what's called tested in the Greek language. It, all the silver, the impurities in it, rise to the top of the cauldron. As it gets hot, all the junk comes to the very top, and they just simply take it and they scrape it off. And then it cools down and they heat it up again, and they, they get it to a point where all those, whatever impurities are left over comes to the top. And until they've done that six or eight or ten times, they get to the very end and finally they heat it up to the point things should rise and nothing rises anymore. And they know it's tested. It's tested. This silver is pure. We know it's pure because it's been tested. This is the word. Is this cool to anybody? This is the word James uses when he says, your faith, your life needs to be tested like silver. This is what makes you pure. This is what makes you strong. This is why you can consider it joy when this thing happens. Because when this stuff happens, it rises stuff out of your life to the top. And if you let God, he will scrape it off the top so that you become more pure. Now, here's the coolest part of this coolest part of this is that when it's tested, this is the way they would decide whether or not it's, it, the silver is, is ready and whether it is fully pure and tested. The silver curer, the silver maker, would look down into the cauldron, and when he could see his own reflection in the cauldron, it was ready. All the impurities were gone. Now, I know I'm a little romantic when it comes to this kind of thing, but here's what I wrote. The impurities in your life need to rise They need to get out. And those impurities can rise to the top of the cauldron. God scrapes them off so that he can see the reflection of himself in your life. That's why James says consider it joy. Because at the end of your life, or when you get to a point where trials and tribulations come in your life, what you want is pure silver. What you want is a life that has been tested, a faith that is true, and a life that is so close to God that you can sit in a bed in a hospital with doctors telling you things don't look good, with a shoulder hanging limp, with only two, three hours of sleep, and you can look at a preacher and say, my cup overflows. Because that, my friends, is the faith that you want. You don't want the kind that's not tested. You don't want the silver with impurities in it. He says, continues, and he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I've seen this over and over in my life. I saw it with Bruce. I've seen it with my grandfather as he died of cancer. It came to the end of his life, and there was just this sense that there's nothing he's missing. You know, he didn't need the big screen TV that was aching. He didn't really want that car. He didn't need that. He didn't see that. He didn't have a passion for this thing that didn't really bring him what he wanted. And in the long run, he was not lacking anything. You know, the the Bible's version of eternity 
of heaven. The way the Bible talks about heaven and the, the original language and the way Jesus talks about it is so much different than the way we talk about it today. Especially Christians, those of us who have been a Christian for a long time, we kind of see heaven as like this destination that we're going to, that someday we'll get there, and someday all of a sudden our state is going to change from not in heaven to in heaven, or from not eternal life to eternal life. But the way Jesus talks about eternal life and the way Jesus talks about heaven is the moment you choose him, you start eternal life. The moment, not someday when you die here on earth, then you start eternal life. But right here, right now, your eternal life begins when you choose him. And what that means is he wants you to live like it. He wants you to be closer and closer to him. And listen to this. Write this down because this is so true and it's so hard for a preacher to say. And I've been praying about it all week. God's priority for you is not happiness. It is holiness. God's priority for you is not happiness. It is holiness. Because here's what he knows. When the rubber meets the road, when things get hard, really hard, happiness means nothing. Holiness is what leads you to the kind of peace that you've been looking for. James knows it. James has been stoned Not in the way many of us have been stoned. (laughs) James has been trampled by people. He has been really persecuted. Not the pretend persecution that we talk about today. James has lived a life where he has seen the people that he loves most die in terrible ways. And he can look you in the face and look his audience in the face and say this, consider it all good. Because without it, You don't have the kind of faith that you need. Blessed is the one, he says, who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, remember what the test is, that's the same word. That test is that same word. Having stood the test, that heating up of the cauldron. You think the silver wants to heat up? You think it wants to boil? No, it doesn't. It wants to be cool, lay on the beach, have more money than it knows what to do with, right? You think the silver wants to go through that? No, it doesn't, but it has to. And if the silver maker wants it to be what it should be, he has to give it heat so that the impurities can rise, and your maker has to put heat on your life. He has to, so that you can become pure, right, and lead you to the life that you've been looking for anyway. That person will receive, look at this, James says this, that person will receive the crown, and the way the English reads is a little weird, but really, literally, it's that person will receive the crown that is life. Now, there's two different words for life. There's actually about five different words in the Greek language, different kinds of words for life. There's the word bios, which, which means this tangible, physical life. It's where we get the word, are you awake? Biology, right? It's this, everything has kind of this breath and this life. The other word, is a word that means eternal life. And it's a different kind of word. It's like the life, it's, it's like you've got this science clinical life, but then the other word is this life that you've always wanted, this perfect life. And when I say perfect, I don't mean that everything's lined up in your life. I mean that it's what God wanted and it's what you've been looking for. He says that is that kind of life. That's the word he uses here. This life, this complete life, this life that does what it's supposed to do. 
I remember when uh, my son, so badly for his birthday last July, he wanted um, a super soaker water gun. I don't know if you've seen these super soakers. If you don't have a kid that age right now, you haven't been wet in your life, let me tell you, because these, these things are named well. They are these guns that are battery operated, and you put water in them, and they will drown you before you even know you've been shot. And he just wanted them so bad, and he got this super, I mean, we talked about it all year, and I said, maybe for your birthday, I could not imagine spending that kind of money on a water gun, but he just kept talking about it, and he loved it, and I fell for it, and we got it for him for his birthday, and it was like all the kids and all the people around I just want that gun. I want to get it open. I want the batteries in it. And he got a little bit like, I want, I want feeling about it. He got it open. He put the batteries in it. And it went out the front. Out the front. And my initial reaction was, <laughs> I don't know why I wanted to laugh, but all this pomp and circumstance, we put these batteries in it. I mean, we put like 5D batteries. This thing could start a tractor, you know? And, and all of a sudden, it's just at the end. And then finally, I was like, you know, let me take a look at this thing. And I started realizing I paid a lot of money for this thing, and maybe it's not so funny. And we started looking at it and realized there's something wrong with this brand new thing out of the package. I had such high hopes, Reese said. I thought this was going to change my life. And it doesn't work the way I thought it should. His word was, Dad, it's broken. Like I had all these things figured out. And it's not what I thought it was. You know what he means, right? If I can just marry somebody like that, it'll all work out. If I could just get my bank account to this much, if I could just own that truck, if I could just have a house with that, if I could just have a job where the people weren't like that, if I could just, if I could just, if I could just, and when you get it and you get the batteries in it and you're so excited, what does it do? Right? And no matter what phone number is on the box, no matter who you call to repair it, it's just broken. And the truth is, A good dad doesn't leave it that way, right? A good dad makes it right at all costs. You need to know that God, above all, is good. And good sometimes means heating up the cauldron. So that what you have in your life, at the end of your life, and as you move towards eternal life that begins now if you're a Jesus follower, as you get closer and closer to moving from here to there, you have a life that works the way it's supposed to. You have a faith that does what it's supposed to do. Not just plasters Jesus sayings on their Facebook wall. Not just walks into a church and sings songs they don't understand the words to. Not just pretends something, but when life hits the wall... When you find yourself laying in a hospital bed, you have life that works the way it's supposed to. And what kind of father wouldn't want that at all costs, even if it hurts to get you there? This is why James, who has struggled more and had more trials than anyone in this room, can look and say, consider it joy, because this is what puts the batteries in your life. This is what makes it work. Whatever you're going through right now, there is something that God has promised to those who love him. We say this all the time. We sing songs. We love Jesus. We love God. We love, God says, you, you want to love me? You get through these times in your life. 
thinking differently. Next slide. I called this life according to Jimmy. I like to think of him as Jimmy. He says life is not just about being happy. It's about being a reflection of the maker. And let me tell you today, if you're kicking the tires on the Jesus thing, or if you've just been baptized or you've just accepted this Jesus thing, you need to know before anybody ruins this for you, before anybody gives you the wrong impression that you've been handed a life where the batteries don't work, and God wants your thing to work, he wants your faith to work in a way that it surpasses your, any of your expectations. And the way you get there, the way you get there is trials. It's going through hard times, and it's learning along the way. He says it's about allowing the testing to surface the impurities and get them out of your life. This is a, a great lesson. This is what I got from this this week as I listened to James. Band, you guys can come up, and that'll keep me moving here. So when he, when he talks about the impurities, he, it's not enough just to get the impurities to surface. It's not enough just to have something bad happen in your life so that all the stuff comes to the surface. But what you've got to do then is scrape it off. You've got to tell somebody. You've got to pray about it. You've got to get to a point where you scrape that out of your life. That's where I'm hoping some of us get over these next few weeks. Life, according to Jimmy, welcomes trials because they lead to the crown that is life. Verse 5, we missed, but I'll tell it to you. I have it by memory. It says, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God. If you're having, today you're having this problem and you're looking at this going, this is just stupid. I'm supposed to be happy when bad things happen? No, not happy. You're supposed to suffer like everyone else. You're supposed to hurt. You don't fake it. But in the midst of it, like Bruce, you can lay in the bed and go, I'm going to be better. I'm going to be closer. This thing's going to work better. My faith is going to get stronger because of that. And he says, if you're having a hard time with that, this is how good God is. If you're having a struggle with that, if anyone suffers from not understanding this in the time, pray. Say this to God. God, I don't get why you would put me through this. And then he says, and and God will lead you to better understanding. It's amazing. Today, I'd like to know, what, what, if you could see, what if you could see the trials in your life differently? What if you could see the money problems, the relationship issues, the issues with your son or your daughter? What if you could see the issues in your life differently? What if you could see them in a way that, that were actually causing you to be better? They were actually causing you to have faith that works. Would you commit if you can't today? to praying this wisdom prayer. Maybe until your knees look like camels. (laughs) To say, God, I I don't get it. Help me understand better. So um, I'm going to end this way. Um, My mom makes this stuff called sourdough bread. Anybody have this? I think she pulls it right out of heaven every day. Um, Some of the most amazing stuff. It tastes like, uh, like... like better than Hershey bars. Better, I, there's just something about this, and I've been eating it since I was a kid, which is part of my issue. But it is beautiful, and it tastes wonderful. But I made a mistake when I was in high school of watching her make it. Anybody ever w- seen sourdough bread made? 
She has been feeding, literally, that's what she calls it, feeding this sourdough baby that's been living in our refrigerator since I was in junior high. This thing is living, and if she doesn't feed it, it bubbles like it wants more. I mean, it's a scary-looking, gross-looking thing. This is one of the ingredients in these rolls. And she puts some other things in there that don't seem to belong in my stomach. And they all get put in a pan, and when, they put, when she put them in the pan, I thought, I'm never eating that again. Because these ingredients do not make sense. I would never grab a spoon and take this bowl out of the refrigerator and just start eating on this stuff that's bubbling and growing. I would never do that. I would never take the amount of butter that goes into this thing and just take a chomp of it. would never that. But something happens when it all gets put together. It all comes together in this thing that is unimaginable. And that's your life. Whatever ingredients God has working through right now, he's baking some sourdough bread in your life. He can see the end. He knows it's rising and it's beautiful. And at the end of your life, you will have what was supposed to be made. The ingredients may not taste good on their own. That one thing you're going through may not taste good. It may not feel good. It may not feel like it's... But let me tell you, you don't want sourdough bread without that ingredient because it changes everything. Does this help? So today, would you embrace the ingredient? Would you look at it differently and would you say, God, when I don't see it, help me get perspective on it. Let's talk differently about the things that go on in our life, will you? Let's not just talk about getting through them. Let's talk about growing. Let's talk about what we're learning. Let's talk about how we can support each other through these times that stink, but who lead us to what God intends for us to be in the end. I'm going to let you deal with that with God however it is you need to today. That's just between you and God. I'm going right back to that corner, and I'm going to pray for you. If there's anything I can do, I'll be right back there. But this is between you and God today. Would you let him do his work and raise the stuff to the surface that don't belong so you can be who he intended for you to be? Stand up and sing with us, would you? Cross me for- 
have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow. I'm gonna follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. No turning back. No turning back. You may be seated. stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required Search much deeper than though the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you. of endless worth no one could express how much you deserve though I'm weak and poor all I have is yours every single breath I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper than though the way things appear. You're looking into Coming back. 
it's all about you it's all about you it's all about you it's all about you Sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. You know, it's cool to stop and think about, it hits me every now and then, that you're a part today of a tradition a group of people that have been meeting together for 2,000 years. 2,000 years they've been coming together and they've been doing things a little bit differently. And every year it gets a little bit different. And Jesus knew that. He knew it was going to happen. He could look down the road and he could see that things were going to change, that things were going to be different. And he could see that throughout time the way people talk about him would be different. That they would consider it a trial and a tribulation or a persecution when something little would happen that at that time would just never nobody would dreamed of and that that somehow people would get foggy with their perspective and what they're doing and so he said before he died the night before he died he was with his friends the disciples the people that were closest and loved him most Jesus knew that they would walk away from him they didn't know that. They would have never believed that. In fact, some of them got angry with Jesus when they told them that's what would happen. And they said, no, 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 we'll never walk away from you. Of course, they all did. And Jesus said, whatever happens, here's what I want you to do. This is cool. If you're a Jesus follower, you need to know this. He said, whatever happens in your life, whatever, however good things are, however bad things are, however loss of perspective you have or however close to me you feel, I want you to do something when you come together. And the disciples went, okay, yeah, what is that? He said, I, w- I want you to eat. Man, I love this thing. <laughs> Man, I love Jesus. He just wants me to eat. Yeah, but I want you to think, I just want you to eat a little bit. Just a piece of bread. Just a bite. Well, why would I do that? Well, I, I want you to take it, and I want that bite, I want you to dedicate it. I want you to stop, and I want you to look at that, that piece of bread for a minute. And I want you to think about it, not just in terms of what it is, but I want you to think about it like it was me. Like it was my body that you were eating. That's a weird thing to say to a group of guys who didn't get it yet. It's it's like I want you to I want you to want this thing to be a part of you. I want my life to be a part of you. I want my blood. So he took a little bit of wine, and I want you to feel so close to me that it's like you're eating and drinking me and my life and my ministry. This was a really weird thing to hear for these guys. 
But they loved Jesus so much, they started doing it anyway. And it wasn't one of those things like we do now, where just pass the tray, and all right, I'll take it, and all right, and let's, what's, what are we having for lunch, that kind of thing. It was like, remember when Jesus told us we should make this like it's his body and like eat his body? And it took years for them to realize that what he meant was you're going to lose perspective on how important this thing was. You're going to start to live your life like it's just a Sunday morning thing. You're going to start to live your life like Jesus isn't a day-in, day-out, moment-in, moment-out thing. And so every time you come together, I want you to take a little bit of bread. I want you to take a little bit of me and put it in your body to say, this doesn't go away when I walk away from here. This doesn't leave me. This is a part of my life, every breath, every moment today. Would you do what your ancestors have done? Those of you who come before you for 2,000 years, would you be obedient to what Jesus says. Don't take this lightly. I always break it in my fingers to remember that he was broken on the cross. Let's take that together. And he said, this cup represents the new covenant of my blood. He would have never imagined that we would have grape juice in a little tiny plastic thing. They passed a cup. He said, this represents the new covenant. You know what the new covenant is? That means every time you drink it, every time you think of it, you can be new. Let's do that together. God, we thank you for the way you love us. We thank you for refining us. We thank you for raising up the impurities in our life and getting them out so that we can become who you want us to be. Would you allow us to see it that way? Would you allow us to ache to be the people that you want us to be? God, whatever it is in in this congregation today and the people that are listening that might stick out, whether it's the sourdough bread or the silver maker, Would you allow something lasting to change the way we live, the way we think, and the way we move towards you? And we'll keep moving in your son's name. Amen.